us pray. Our Lord God, thank you so much that we have this time um, out of our busy, busy days to come and hear your voice. Lord, please help us to put distractions out of our mind and to properly listen to you. Please encourage us and help us to keep going and um, living for you today. And Lord, we pray for Wendy and her colleagues, um, May and Vassal. We pray, Lord, that you would soften their hearts. We pray that you give Wendy boldness um, to share the news of your son and the victory we have in him with them. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and I'll be reading from verse 16 um, to chapter 5 verse 10. So that's 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16 to chapter 5 verse 10. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If he did, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from, from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Wendy, thanks very much for reading the passage for us. Uh, we've got handouts on tables for you to follow along, and do keep the passage open uh, so we can check what I've been saying. Well, occasionally during the holidays, I, I tend to read a Christian biography, and over Christmas I read this called Cambridge Seven, and one of the most well-known person of the Cambridge Seven was this chap called C.T. Studd, and C.T. Studd uh, was really famous to be, um, as an, uh, famously known to be an all-round cricketer of the England uh, team, but he was even more famous because his life was a life that was fully orientated, orientated towards God. And some of you might have heard of him before, age 25. Um, he gave up his successful career in cricketing. Uh, he gave away lots of his family wealth because he came from a very rich family. And he became a missionary in China. And in the later half of his life, a missionary in Africa, uh, reaching the unreached nations. And throughout his life, he experienced lots of suffering. And eventually, he died in Africa. CT Stad. And then compare that with what you guys were speaking around the table. So what describes a glorious worker, a glory at work? 
you know, I can rattle off the cliches, uh, the titles, the roles, uh, the perks and the suits. And if you compare and contrast a CT stud and what is understood as glory in the workplace, uh, the difference couldn't be more stark. Uh, you see, gospel work and the radical commitment to it looks very inglorious. And if you've been coming over for our series for a while now, um, we've been saying that the explicit aim of this series is to persuade uh, each and every one of you to reorient your lives around the gospel. And again, I'm not saying that all of us here, we need to kind of quit the jobs and go to Africa. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. Maybe some of you should. And most of us will be staying in our jobs, and that is a right thing to do. But to reorient our lives, uh, not to see Africa as a mission field, but our workplaces as a mission field. And what exactly that looks like for each one of you, um, that's something good to chat around tables after this. But again, the question arises, why should I do so when the work of the gospel looks so inglorious? Well, if you were with us last week, we saw the first part of the answer, uh, the key text that we saw last week, uh, treasures in jars of clay, chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And the picture we were meant to have in our minds uh, was, if you like, a clay jar, uh, cracked, battered, and bruised, held together by some sort of divine glue, uh, barely holding it together. But inside the clay jar, treasure and divine light shining through the cracks. And it's that combination that embodies the death and the life and the speech of Jesus. Now, why is it looking glorious? Well, because it looks exactly like Jesus. But there's more to see, uh, because last week was, if you like, part one. Uh, this week, uh, we see part two. Because the clay jar, well, is not the last word. The clay jar is just the initial stage. It is just the beginning, because there is something to come after the clay jar. There is transformation into the final stage. And here's our key text for today, chapter 4, verse 17. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Well, why does gospel work appear to be in so inglorious? Well, it's preparing us for transformation into an eternal weight of glory. Well, look to verse 16 again. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. First, I want to apologize for the first header. It's quite a clunky uh, header. Uh, but the thing to see is that transformation work connects point one and point two. But maybe the, the, the thrust of the first point is to see that a clay jar, well, it's a precursor to something more. Uh, verse 16, there's an inner renewal for something more. Verse 17, it's preparing us for something more. Verse 18, there's a movement from, from transient to something more. Well, what is that transformation to? Verse 17 again. It is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Well, you might ask, what does Paul mean by an eternal weight of glory? 
I think we have two options. Uh, the first is this, the eternal weight of glory. It refers to, to God himself as we behold him face to face, uh, the weighting, weightiness of his glory. It could mean that, but I think it's more likely to mean the second thing. Uh, not God, but our own personal transformation. Uh, the clay jar body, uh, the outer man, will go and it will be replaced with something far, far more glorious. The clay jar, it's a preparatory stage for a new transformed body that is the eternal weight of glory. And it's a necessary stage. It's a necessary stage that needs to happen. I'm pinching this illustration, but maybe the best way to describe this is uh, the very hungry caterpillar. Uh, you know, the caterpillar who eats apples and oranges and pears and chocolate cakes. And eventually he gets so full that he builds a cocoon. And the cocoon is like a clay jar. Uh, we look on the outside, it doesn't look very impressive. But eventually the, uh, the hungry caterpillar, he starts to nibble at the at the crust of his cocoon, and out pops a beautiful butterfly. That is the eternal weight of glory. A caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly. Another way to, to describe it, uh, flip to chapter 3, verse 16, just a page before. Paul says, We are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. But the first degree there, I think, is the degree of the clay jar. But the second degree is the degree of an eternal weight of glory. Jesus' crucified body and then his resurrection body comes next. And so Paul is saying, well, if you look at me, a battered and bruised Paul, he looks like an inglorious clay jar. Inglorious on the surface, battered and bruised. But all this is preparation for something more. And if you look at me rightly, you will recognize that behind the cuts and the bruises, you will see that there's another stage to come. Not a beautiful butterfly, but an eternal weight of glory. So why does gospel work look so inglorious? Well, it's a necessary precursor. It's preparatory for an eternal weight of glory. I mean, this stage is it's probably worth pausing a moment and just think about how it applies to our local churches. I mean, often we don't talk much about the local church here because we're really focused on the workplace. Um, however, there's key lessons to be learned here about what authentic ministry should look like because it's not uncommon uh, for churches to uh, mimic a worldly glory and portray the Christian life, one that um, alongside the definition of glory of the world. As a result, what happens? Uh, Christians, they grow discouraged uh, very easily. Uh, when something bad happens in life, they lose heart. But you see, not according to Paul. Uh, Paul says to have a clay jar ministry, that is the first stage of the future glory to come. Well, but then that raises a question. Uh, the next question is, well, how does one know for sure that eternal weight of glory is to come? How do you know that stage two is coming? That brings us to the second point. It is our spiritual groan for transformation. It's a spiritual groan for transformation. I look at verse 1 of chapter 5. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, 
eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be put to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we will be unclothed, but that we will be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Uh, these verses are just really interesting verses. Do you notice Paul, he switches the metaphor to describe his physical body as a tent. And a tent is a perfect illustration of camping. Uh, camping, I think, is quite a divisive activity. Uh, just a, a, a nod or maybe a show of hands of who um, is quite pro-camping here and who is not. Exactly, very divisive activity. Uh, camping, no showers, uh, potential downpours. I personally quite enjoyed, and I'm quite proud to say that I managed to convince my wife, Matilda, to come camping with me. Uh, but there's a limit uh, to how much camping she can do, and a maximum of one day. After that, it's time to book an Airbnb, where there's hot showers and a proper bed. But if I suggest anything more than one day, what do you hear? Well, you hear a groan. And what does a groan from Matilda mean? Well, it means that she is feeling sticky and really icky and she needs a hot shower. The groan means that the camping mattress is uncomfortable and she needs a real bed. And the groan means that this flimsy tent, well, she needs a proper shelter. You see, the groan, it's a, it's a longing, it's an ache, it's a desire for something permanent, something better. Look at verse 2 again. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we will be unclothed, but that we will be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. See, the groan is a longing for something better, longing to get rid of this physical body, this temporal body, but to obtain a new dwelling, a new house, a new permanent eternal body. The groan is a longing for something better. And if you pause to think about it, this is a profoundly Christian experience. Um, you guys, I'm sure, will understand the, the frustration when you battle against sin, uh, longing for the day where you no longer feel any temptation, or the ache for the time where this body will be transformed. Uh, that is how you know. It is a spiritual experience. It is a spiritual groan to long for something more. Verse 5. He, God, who prepared us for this very thing is God himself, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. It is a spiritual groan for transformation. See, this fleshly body, this corporal body, inherited from Adam, will one day go well, let's try to bring things together. We started by asking why this gospel work looks so inglorious. And we saw that it's a preparation stage for what's to come, an eternal weight of glory. But then how do you know it's true? Well, it's this internal ache that every Christian will feel deep down inside of them, that there is something more. And so what does this mean? Well, what Paul says is that he does not lose Heart. Look at verse 16. 
so we do not lose heart. And chapter 5, verse 6, so we are always of good courage. Paul is saying, I am of good courage because I know that what I'm in now is stage one, a clay jar, and stage two is coming. They can afflict, persecute, strike me down, and you can crush this clay jar, but something far better is coming. It is an incomparable, eternal weight of glory. And so in the moment, it hurts for Paul. He's beaten, he's in prison, his hardships, and he's afflicted. And Paul describes his entire life a bit like the end of the string here. It's a light, momentary affliction. But he says something that's to come is eternal. It keeps going on, and if this is untangles itself, it keeps going on, and it keeps going on, and going on. It's eternal. It's indestructible. It keeps going on. That's the life to come. And not transient, but eternal. Not momentary, but everlasting. And so he says, I can be very bold. And you can crush me, and that's okay. Because an eternal weight of glory is to come. But more than that, he also says he aims to please the Lord. Verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. We think more about this idea next week, but notice what Paul says. He doesn't think about himself. Um, He thinks about how to please the Lord. It's a reorientation away from the self to God. And so that's encouragement for each and every one of us here. You see, the thought of uh, reorientating your life around the gospel, uh, I get it. Uh, It's really uncomfortable. Uh, It will cost uh, time, uh, money, and sometimes your own personal dreams. But maybe more costly, it will cost you your reputation uh, because the encouragement is to speak boldly. It will cost you your reputation. And it takes real courage to speak about Jesus in the face of persecution. And obviously, I I can't tell you uh, what to do. uh, But what we can do is to grow in understanding, to really grasp what Paul and what God are saying here. See, Paul is trying to move our understanding from a partial understanding to a full understanding, to look beyond outward appearance, uh, to see that the clay jar, it actually embodies the life and death of Jesus. But to look to the unseen, that this cracked up clay jar will one day transform to an eternal weight of glory. And so if we really do understand and grasp, we'll realize that this is the most significant thing to be part of. A CT stud, uh, which I mentioned at the at the start of the talk. Um, He wrote this line, only one life, it will soon pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so over the past few weeks, uh, Paul, he's been giving us reasons as to why we should reorient our lives around the gospel. We've seen the achievement of the gospel a few weeks ago. What does the gospel achieve? It achieves the unveiled access of glory, of the glory of God. That's what he achieves. But over this week and last week, we saw the appearance of gospel ministry. And why does it look so inglorious? Well, it looks so inglorious because the next stage is an eternal weight of glory. Next week, we move to a third topic, the aim. And what is the aim of gospel ministry? What are we trying to do? And what we'll find out 
it is achieving the great work of reconciliation. But again, we need to come back next week to find out more. Why don't I pray and we'll chat round tables. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Our Father, we pray and ask that we might fully understand and grasp this great work of yours. And we pray that knowing what's to come, we might be of good courage. We ask this in Jesus' name.